This is Dark News Radio, episode number 74. I'm, of course, one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. How's it going, Chris? Hello. I always feel like I've been wanting to do an introduction, just do it as, like, Rick Star, Wubba Lubba Dub Dub, like, you know, <laughs> motherfuckers. Like, I mean, yeah. I've got this coach open network zero with that. Uh, what I've been up to, lots. I mean, part of what this show is, what people listen to after we've done all the all the news there's a lot of news. Um, other stuff, gaming-wise, Beasts of War videos for Kingdom Death have gone out. Yeah, those All are huge. Now. Very, very popular. Yeah, um, people want. People have already asked, like, oh, I can't wait for the next episode next week. And I was like, there ain't another episode. That was it. That was what we recorded in, like, the best part of a day and a half. I've got to go back and do more at some point. But it's not my day job to do that kind of thing, so... But that's great. I mean, the Kickstarter for that is just... I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill um, uh, Exploding Kittens. Oh yeah, I think so too. Uh, I need to go check. It's it's. I think it's last time I looked, it was definitely past seven point eight million dollars. Oh my gosh! I've gone. I've gone in for the expansion set, so the update set and the gamblers box, and it comes with like some other expansion stuff. And I think there's an opportunity. The pledge manager like wants to add some more stuff, so I mostly pick an expansion and just add it, and then that'll be it. Like I'm not going crazy. Like some of the pledge levels are nuts. Like seriously nuts. Um, otherwise, uh, played a bit more of Leaders, a combined game, which is a brilliant board game. Uh, it seems to be our research group's favorite little game for board games night. Because who who doesn't want to play um, like Kennedy or or um, Macmillan or whoever during the uh, turn of the the you know, start of the Cold War in a risk like type of board mm-hmm. game that's got an app for it. Uh, and otherwise. I got some more. I got my friend uh, into War Machine Horde, so he's got a Trollblood army. So that's wicked. Nice. And it meant I got more stuff for my Scorn. So I've got tons of swordsmen now. And what else is there, gaming wise? So James stayed over, uh, one, uh, uh, over for a few days. So I, we actually got around to playing um, Dark Deeds, the the little board game that Andy Chambers um, co-created. Oh, right on. Uh, it's great fun. Uh, I think it'd be more funny. I think it'd be more crazy if you've got more than like two people playing it. Mm. But mm. Uh, again, that's like it's a nice little game you can pack away. Um, yeah, that's gaming wise. That's me uh, gaming out. I mean, I'm meant to be getting my Geist game going, but I think that's not going to happen till like New Year now. The way things are going, it's just. Oh no! I know what I've planned. Terrible tale of James Magnus doing it again doing that that one again that's for the third time is that right yeah i'm gonna run it as a kind of faux ghost adventures crew thing so i think they're called ghost stalkers international so they're going to be a bunch of uh i think the only way to describe it is like european ghost hunters in the u.s though oh it's their last chance to make it big and i thought that's a great juxtaposition as you know we're all all the players are obviously you know from the uk but to contrast that with the fact that they're going to be in a their character in a setting where firearms are <laughs> freely available and all hell right. breaks loose so right. you know great fun how about yourself with gaming well you know talking about the uh, the terrible tale of uh of magnus i've always actually wanted to get ghost hunters here on this show we could just ask them like so yeah what do you guys do like how does it work and just like get information because it seems like especially with the chronicles of darkness 
and the you know the the Mordov's Blue Book. That's like one of the the baseline things you might go for with a with an adventuring party, if you will. Um, that would that would just be a fun episode to do. Yeah, I think <laughs> just to um to hear about how they feel as an experience, because obviously it mm-hmm. depends whether you believe them or not is another thing entirely. And I think that's that's that that type of thing would be less interesting it's more about the feel and the experience because clearly they they go to these strange places and experience yeah. things whether they can explain it or not is another thing entirely but that experience and then knowing what that experience is and how to then knowing that hopefully that inspires people for games that's cool yeah yeah definitely uh but anyway yeah with my gaming it's mostly just been tabletop uh, a lot of D fifth edition um which is funny right. because you know you've talked to me like two years ago i would have been like nah D, never gonna play it again man never gonna do it but now i've got uh, one game i'm playing and another game i'm running which is like a super intense hex crawl based off of attack on titan the anime so oh yeah, yeah. it's really great having a lot of fun Oh, and the other thing I, I can say, oh, I'll say, which I'm kind of proud of, um, Noble Armada got released. So Noble, Noble oh, Armada, yeah, so which I co-wrote. So um, that's out via, hold on, gratuitous plug mode. Uh, you can get it from FASA. It's on PDF. It's in a beta mode. So not all the art is there. Uh, we can get some errata and it'll be in a hardback book eventually. Uh, hopefully, if it does well, then there'll be some sort of way they'll update the models because they're quite old models. I'll freely admit, but if they can update them, that's great. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, hopefully people will receive it. I mean, it's nothing like Drop Fleet Commander. Now I've seen how that works um, mm-hmm. locally. And it's nothing like Battlefleet Gothic. So Excellent. Well, yeah. if people want to check out Chris's spaceship combat game, we'll put a link in the show notes. Oh, cheers, Mike. Indeed. Um, <laughs> so I guess it's White Wolf News then, right? Yeah, let's uh, head on over to that. So Chris, cool thing went on. White Wolf sent out a survey and uh, wanted us to, you know, give some insight into the future of the world of darkness and Chronicles of Darkness. So uh, I filled it out. Did you fill it out? I filled it out. It was a long, long. I remember it being a long questionnaire. Indeed. It was an interesting questionnaire. Um, I can't remember what the questions are in it anymore, though. Um, oh, but it was, I did fill it was it everything. Out television you know where you uh how you get your uh your film media these days because you know it's quite decentralized not just cable Mm. tv anymore um just stuff about different properties you know the card games like vampire the eternal struggle um asking like how much money you spend on on world of darkness stuff every year you know the basic (laughs) kind of marketing questions that they they want to get a feel for the uh you know for the market and how they can uh uh kind of put out their products that sort of thing it was interesting, and we'll, again, put a link in the show notes so that people can uh, check it out and uh, give their feedback uh, if they're interested. Yeah, and then, of course, we've got quite a few new books out since we last put out an episode. Um, mm-hmm. So new from Onyx Path is Secrets of the Covenants. So this, I believe, is a different format of a book to what the old Covenant books were. So this is more kind of like more like the new the, the Requiem clan books. So it's more of a uh an insetting kind of document uh, artifact. Yeah. Uh, but also you know it has rules and ideas in there and, and new things. So um I need to check that out. It'd be Certainly. interesting how it compares to uh the older books. 
uh, which it did like. Um, they were dry in places, but they were. I treated them more as textbooks, whereas I think this is maybe hopefully a bit more accessible for some people. Uh, we've also got our Hurt Locker, which is for Chronicles of Darkness. Uh, so that's kind of is that not, that's sort of an update of Armory, but then it's sort not. of. It, yeah. it has a lot of like extra extra systems, specifically more for like combat yeah. and uh, the more dramatic conflicts of the game. Uh, the lot, there's a lot of new optional rules and uh, new merits and flaws and the like. So it's definitely a grab bag of mechanics. Yeah, um, Dark Eras is in traditional print run now. Yep, uh, that I... was. Um... I need to delve through that. Yeah, go on. Oh, I think I got my copy, but I never opened the box. Just kind of sitting there, so <laughs> I should probably check that out. Make sure I got the right the, thing. Uh, the sin of Kickstarters. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, we've had, what is that? Promethean Second Edition came out, so now we've got in line um, what well, the potential of a Kickstarter for Hunter the Vigil Second Edition, mm-hmm. which I'm super excited for because Hunter the Vigil I think Hunter the Vigil is just such you know for Chronicles of Darkness represents the diverseness of the setting as it is because there's just everything in there and different levels of gameplay that you can do so um, that'll be great to see what they do as stretch goals to update because obviously certain splats have been addressed in the kind of mortal remains type books or the witch hunters book or, or you know those type of books so again to see those updates for Second edition would be great. What else is Onyx Path put out uh, for? How about for uh, Classic World of Darkness? I think uh, that's pretty much mean? it at the moment. It was a very, uh, very Chronicles of Darkness heavy season since our last episode. Uh, coming up, I think there's a couple Kickstarters, but I can't speak to it uh, with any confidence at the moment. Okay, but uh, you know what? You know who is putting out some cool stuff for uh, the One World of Darkness, that would be By Night Studios, because they just released yes. Mind's Eye Theater Werewolf 20th. Um, very interesting. Uh, follows in the same suit as their uh, Vampire uh, Mind's Eye Theater book that came out, I think, two years ago at this point. Um, and it actually makes some uh, some setting changes and uh, different meta plot uh, additions to kind of make things more convenient for you know LARP events, and that's sort of a focus. Um so you might have heard about some of these things uh, in our previous episode where we actually interviewed uh, some of the folks over at By Night. But uh, some of the things that kind of stood out to me are that now the the Guru Nation uh, is sort of its own. It actually has like this democratic council at the top. Uh, so they're trying to add in some more uh, political elements to the game overall. Another change is that, uh, as we were talking about in the, the previous episode, the werewolf population the group population is actually increasing because now they've sort of discovered a, a right where the uh, kinfolk can actually be bitten and become turned into uh guru uh at the expense though that they tend to go in frenzy a lot they're kind of lunatics in many ways uh and also the the kinfolk are now sterile so they are kind of using up their reproductive resources uh, up front to help out in the battle against the apocalypse. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and in addition to that, they're also uh, bringing up this kind of new plot with the, uh, the Storm Eater uh, aspect of the worm. And they are linking it quite a bit to climate change. Um, I'm not sure if I really agree with this. I'll actually have to check out the book and, and kind of read it. I could see it going either way uh, with it being 
a little too overt or just kind of being like this cool subtle addition to the game yeah i mean i can see what you're mostly getting at because it's one of those kind of things of like it you don't want all the ills of the world to be due to every supernatural right, precisely. thing in the world. Sometimes it's it's far more interesting to have man as his worst enemy than it being insert villain X, Y, or Z. Um, but yeah, we'll see where that goes. And obviously, that may well be coming from higher up with White Wolf and how they see Werewolf becoming. You know, it's a new edition of Werewolf eventually. Like. Um, like Vampire Fifth that was announced, so that could be something to do with the meta plot that that, that they're developing there. So we'll see. Um, wow, yeah, that's a lot of stuff. I guess the other the other big new, bit of news, which goes into then our our next topic, is to do with uh, World of Darkness Berlin, isn't yep. it, Mike? So we have been invited to be the with uh, we are the um, official podcast for that event. So we're still in, we're still working out what, what that means yep, being there. But I think there's some, some great ideas. Um, but the main thing is we'll be there documenting it. I think the idea is that we'll obviously take some great pictures of some of the ev- uh, events uh, running. Like in particular, it'd be great to help them just take some great in situ pictures of like the LARP mm-hmm. event, um, Enlightenment in Blood. I would love to help out in that element. Um, you know, be a, a lur- lurking watcher like in the Highlander series, just you know, watching but <laughs> right. do not get involved. <laughs> but also, you know, it'd be great to interview um, everyone from White Wolf and By Night Studios and something. So I, I thought, like, it'd be great to have like, you know, with the microphones and, and a good enough computer and a, and a good internet connection, um, a, a live podcast running, um, perhaps, and pe- to keep it kind of kind of fun people can drop in and out of the podcast as events are going on and 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 closing so they can come over and talk about something else i'm sure it would give people that are talking a bit of a breather to kind of like you know decompress and and talk talk that stuff and you know just find out you know in more detail certain things which they feel like you know on stage is really hard to express in one Mm -hmm. go but maybe it gives them another chance to uh explain things on a on a one-to-one basis Hopefully, you know, we can get some live questions coming in as so kind of a bit like a Reddit ask me anything kind of thing. Then I guess that's an idea, but like more uh, interactive. And of course, we'll edit the whole, <laughs> somehow edit the whole thing after um, and uh, and mostly be in various blocks and we put it out there. So um, that's really exciting. Um And I guess related to that, people can know if they've not noticed. We have a new logo, uh, thanks to a wonderful friend of the show. Um, and we have that logo uh, available on various things through our little Redbubble online store thing. It's, you know, all profits go to what? Buying stuff to review and keeping the lights on with the podcast. Um, and that is it. Uh, and, and prize support. It means that you know you buy a T-shirt. That means you've got a chance of getting some cool, you know, hard copy from um, you know premium color hard copy from Drive Through RPG in one of our competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the Etsy shop for our friend who designed the um, designed the logo is Ghost of Yukari. Again, it will be all in the show notes. Uh, I think we're going to try and get it to design a new. Um, Network Zero logo as well. Sweet. And some ideas are going on for that. Yeah, it's definitely good. But yeah, what do you oh, think of logo, it. Mike? It's great. 
it it, it might be on a t-shirt that i own now oh it's very um I, when i saw it when eventually kind of it because it, like when she uh when uh the designer did the first pass on it and we were kind of looking at horns and stuff and then eventually with like trying to keep the the lightning strike motif it's very hellraiser i think it's kind of oh, um yeah. it's our pin yeah head. definitely Anyway, moving on then, I guess, is the main segment, which involves a certain certain event in deepest, darkest Europe. Um, and this is our topic of uh, highbrow storytelling. Topics of highbrow storytelling. Uh, so, Mike, um, this next segment, as uh, we introduced just before the break, is our interview with the team who are organizing, leading... Uh, the World of Darkness Berlin event, which takes place, um, I, I guess, depending upon how we edit this, hopefully soon enough that it's technically still next year uh, in uh, in May. Yep, that's right, correct. In May. Yep. Um, and we have with us uh, Björk. Yes, sir. And we also have Johanna. That would be me. Hi. And we also have Johanna. Hello. That is me. So if you take it in terms, as I've mentioned your names, um, just introduce yourself uh, and kind of what role you're taking in uh, this huge European World of Darkness event for White Wolf. That would be great. Yeah, as, as you said, uh, my name is Bjarke, uh, and I'm the lead uh, on the World of Darkness Berlin convention next year in May, where we, together with White Wolf, will hopefully get as many uh, fans of the World of Darkness together and uh, enjoy amazing times and uh, play some LARPs and play some role-playing games and talk and discuss and learn from each other. And I think the key word is learn. We really want people to engage and uh, show uh, what they uh, are doing with the world of darkness and and this world that we all love so much and have been engaged with for yeah a long, long, long time. And uh, I'm Johanna. Like Berke, I'm an experienced designer by profession. And uh, and we work for the company, both of us, uh, who are or we indeed run the company that is also organizing uh, this convention. And um, I I also had this whole first career in uh, in the media, so I'm taking point on some of the communication stuff. But my big sort of game design geekdom has to do with community design and 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 also safety and calibration. So. I have the enormous privilege of of looking at some of some of that stuff in regards to the, to the convention and also, of course, to the LARPs that we are designing, uh, the big Nordic LARPs that we are running in in conjunction with this event. And Johanna. Yeah, my name is uh, Johanna Pettersson, and uh, my uh, the background is that I worked a lot in uh, I worked in television, done a lot of LARPs since the mid nineties, and this project my sort of main role is to be the creative lead on Enlightenment in Blood. And Enlightenment in Blood is the big uh, city LARP that we are playing on the streets of Berlin and in many different locations in, in the city. And the goal of which is to be a sort of uh, kind of one night in the world of darkness. Excellent. Right. I, that, there's a lot of information in there to um, unpack, isn't there, Mike? Yeah, certainly, certainly. So you guys were already kind of getting into this a little bit, uh, but I kind of wanted to ask you to... Uh, you know, before we get into the specifics of the World of Darkness and uh, you know this World of Darkness Berlin convention, the LARPs you're putting together, I kind of want to just ask you guys a little bit uh, of your street cred, which you guys were already uh, giving us some some indication of. So uh, maybe starting with uh, with Bjark, what kind of LARPs have you run before, 
And what can we kind of uh, expect from these uh, events? I started LARPing, uh, I started in LARP back in 1999, or I ran my first LARP in 1999. That was the Copenhagen Chronicles series. So it was like a vampire campaign in, in Copenhagen. And, and my very first LARP back in 1994 was uh, a cyberpunk LARP at the Danish Convention Festival, where that year Mark Einhagen was... Uh, mm-hmm. the guest of honor so i i played uh, some cyberpunk with him back when i was very young and uh and of course starstruck at that time so <laughs> well i'm still a little bit starstruck when i meet him of course <laughs> so but i've been doing larp since yeah the late 90s and and i've done a lot of lot of uh, projects uh, from running a three-day simulation in an old soviet submarine to uh, hundreds of children uh, fighting with swords to uh, a lab we ran uh, a year and a half ago and are, are going to run again uh, next uh, October, which is called Inside Hamlet, which is a hundred person uh, or hundred people version of Shakespeare's Hamlet at the real castle Elsinore uh, in Denmark. And they live at the castle and go through the story of Hamlet wow. uh, over three days. Uh, then I've organized uh, conventions, fan conventions. There's a lab a convention called Knudepunkt, which is uh, has run for 20 years, and and I've organized a couple of those, and and one of the other core members of the team, Troll Sparkle, who is uh, lead uh, like project manager and production on this thing, he has been doing has been lead on that convention a couple of times as well. So, and then we've done a lot of commercial work uh, for 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 big international companies and and on uh, various art festivals and across the world in the US and, and in Europe. So we've done a lot of stuff and I also come out of events, the event business and, and done like hundreds of Christmas parties and, and company events and, and stuff like that. Boring stuff like that. The, the labs is where the, where, where I really have my passion. So understood, understood. And uh, Johanna, I have the same question for you. And uh, you kind of mentioned that you had some background in media um, so I was a little curious if you could expound upon that a little bit, um, and just kind of, you know, uh, tell us how that's played into some of your, uh, street cred on the LARP scene. But actually it's weird in some ways they're not connected at all. I, mm. I, like, I, I guess most people who are just old enough to, to have sort of gotten onto the internet to like remember a time before the internet, right. uh, and, and, and a time when geek knowledge wasn't. Uh, wasn't very useful in our professional careers. I, I had like a day job and my day job was was being a culture journalist. I was a film critic first and eventually I became a TV show host, I guess you'd say in, mm. in English and a radio presenter. And I, I, had, I had this whole career doing that. Uh, of course, after a while, it turns out that being uh, being a woman who is knowledgeable knowledgeable about geek subjects actually became super helpful uh, in that career. So I guess it's it's played out in that way. It's never been a secret in my professional career that I have super geeky interests and that I am a role player. Uh, and in the Nordic countries, uh, being a LARPer and being a role player has never been as stigmatized as it is in some other parts of the world. But mm-hmm. but even so, I, I think I mean my celebrity is pretty limited. But in in Sweden, where I, my career has been. I think I'm probably one of the few people that like somebody, some random person might actually be able to name as somebody who knows LARP. But I don't think that actually gives you any, any credit in the, in the geek community. But then uh, over time, of course, the media landscape has changed a lot and participatory media are so much more of a thing now. So so now I've been working in transmedia and, and also doing event production and, uh, and and in games in different ways. And suddenly a lot of that, of these decades of like, 
playing games and loving games and doing a lot of LARP theory, especially which which has been my sort of, I guess, like my contribution more than than making LARPs, even though I've I've run a bunch as well. Hmm. Um, that has played into to the work stuff. So that now, weirdly, what started out as like a passion and the job have uh, have convened somehow in the middle. Interesting. Very interesting. And Johanna, take us home. What kind of street cred do you have? Well, uh, the very first time I played in uh, played in any kind of a LARP at all was uh, in '96, and it was it was a vampire LARP. And uh, mm-hmm. the funny thing was that I actually had to lie my age to get in because there was an age limit of 16, and I was only 15 years old. <laughs> but uh, nice. But I, I wanted to get in very badly because it seems like the sort of coolest thing in the world. And uh, I have to say that it was when <laughs> when I got in. It was it was it was quite quite uh, quite magical to walk into this into the, into this world of vampire. But of course, that was when I was uh, 15 years old. Since then, I, uh, I I've done a lot of different kinds of games. The very first LARP I organized was also at that point based on Changing the Dreaming. Then later on, I did uh, sort of many years. I worked as a journalist and um, TV producer, making a show about video games, and uh, wrote a bunch of books and uh, stuff like that. But in terms of LARP, I think the, probably the things that people might know are, I know that when, when Nordic LARP comes up, there is one, one kind of urban legend that, that people talk, mention. Mm-hmm. And that is the urban legend of the flower LARP, where you play cancer, play cancer patients who are wallowing in flower. And I am proud to say that that's my game. <laughs> so the game is called uh, Luminescence, which I organized, and it's been kind of, it's been kind of funny to see it become this sort of uh, myth or story, <laughs> story of uh, story of a part of the story of of, of LARP from uh, where we come from. Recent years, in 2013, and then again this year, part of the organizing team of the LARP Halat Hisar, which means uh, state of siege in Arabic. And uh, what uh, I was the I was a producer on that LARP, and what that LARP is 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 that uh, it was a Finnish-Palestinian co-production, and what we wanted to do is to make a LARP about the Palestinian sort of political experience, what's it like to live in that situation, uh, but in Finland for uh, Finnish and international and also Palestinian participants, and. Uh, uh, that is probably one of the games I'm sort of most proud of, because of uh, because of its uh, political function, and also in in a, in a creative way. Mm, excellent, cool. I think that's a really good introduction. You've given a good broad view of kind of what each of you, um, you know, skill set and and your background that you bring to um, to the World of Darkness Berlin event, and also you know it's interesting though your each of your individual backgrounds with both LARPing and. And I think also how understanding how the experience you have with like different types of media kind of, you know, helps with creating and running these events. Um, so I think I think the first thing with because it's World of Darkness Berlin that I need to ask is why on a, why why have you chosen Berlin to be the location for this event? Because I think that, you know, you may have had a few choices of different places around Europe. So why did Berlin stand out as a as a good location? Well, um, Berlin is a very, very interesting city, and, and personally, I love it very much. It's it's sort of it's sort of weird, uh, it weird mix between uh, it's like a, a place that is feels very cutting edge and very interesting on the on the art scene and and culturally, 
uh, and at the same time, it's very sort of run down in in especially the eastern part. Uh, so so it has that weird almost world of darkness feel. So you know that there are stuff going on basically around the corner wherever you are, but you're not quite sure that you can find it. Uh, but when you do, it's always amazing, uh, and that that is at least my experience with Berlin. And on a practical level, it's it's also that. It's a city that's very easy to travel to um, yeah. and uh, quite cheap to travel to, especially, of course, from Europe. And it has so many options of uh, or any type of accommodation that you like, from very expensive to like super, super cheap hostels. And that yeah. was also a big thing when we, we chose Berlin, is that it should be, it should be accessible for everybody. Uh, we know that the price tag, of course, of the convention is... is uh, it is quite high, or it feels quite high, but but everything around it should be very cheap. And Berlin is a very cheap city to be in. So I'd also like to add that um, that Berlin, because of its history, which is sort of both lovely and and very violent and dark at, at different times, it, and it sort of it, it carries that history in a really visible way. When you're there, you you can you always have this feeling of cities within cities, that that there is this really like intense nightlife uh there like the, there's a lot of amazing dance music coming out of berlin still and, and has been historically as well but i mean by historically I, I guess i meant in the 80s but i suppose that was also true in like the 1920s and and the yeah. 1880s and so on there's been the city of like high culture and and street life that i just think emotionally syncs so well with uh with white wolf storytelling yeah, I mean, I've I've been there obviously for conferences and, and so forth related to my job. But so I understand what you mean because um, so for Mike, I don't know how much you've ever seen of Berlin and sort of things. So there's places which have been rebuilt post-war. There's uh, Potsdamer Platz has some very tall kind of skyscraper type designs, and it's very it's reminiscent. I think some sort of kind of like San Francisco kind of design of buildings. Okay. But then you've also got like the large parkland, which is near the the Reichstag, which is so vast you can you can quite easily imagine you know werewolves quite happily hunting, patrolling that area, and that's also near the the tear that's that's the tear garden, and you've also got like the zoo nearby that it leads into, and then of course you've also got like the newer governmental buildings of uh, of, of Germany, and if you saw those, you think they're straight out of like some some you know so they're very futuristic and there's that that there's also that futurism comes in with certain buildings because of course how they're designed um you know post-communist uh you know ger- communist germany kind of element comes in on cer- certain building designs as well so it's really it's a crazy mix of different things there and then you've got the, the very historical element so like where the opera house is uh, and there's also like a, I think they're rebuilding the palace that got torn down by the communist uh, communist uh, government at the time, but they're rebuilding it. And they're still they're using, I think, I believe they're using to rebuild to help rebuild it to create the internal shell for the external faux palace. That's all recovered from the old uh, German communist government building. So they reclaimed that steel to make this beautiful thing that the communists tore down in the first place. And they regretted it, of course, didn't they? They went, oh, we need to tear down the old power. But no, they regretted that beautiful building got destroyed. So Mm. it's a crazy little city. Well, I say little, it's not, but it's great. I I guess it also has this idea of the split city. I mean, just because it was literally a split city for so Mm -hmm. long, you know, a lot of these stories, a lot of these games uh, are about factions and about territories and about like fighting for mm. power and and just this idea of the one city where the cold war sort of 
met in the streets some or happened in like literally in the streets with a wall in the middle uh that's also super powerful i should also mention uh, at this point obviously tinged with a ton of tragedies so like we're not we're yes. not we trivialize that at all but but it is um like emotionally super resonant mm. Yeah, and uh, Johanna and I have been combing through the uh, old uh, book of uh, Berlin by Night. <laughs> and uh, some of it is good, and uh, a lot of it is um, not mm. so good, I think. <laughs> a lot of it is material that uh, we are not using, but uh, but I think that some of, some some stuff in there is, uh, is still quite resonant. I have actually another thing which probably is quite obvious, but about Berlin is that the scene in terms of a vampire and the world of darkness is quite strong. Mm. Um, I was just trying to think. The other thing, um, I don't know uh, if if you guys have actually also had a look, because it would be, I don't know, at least interesting ideas. Um, I think Mike... Uh, some I, I, one of the settings I still want to run. It's for Chronicles of Darkness, but the the newer um, version of Demon, uh, that version of Demon uses Berlin as its setting for exactly the reasons we're saying, which is you know it's got that history of like you know the the Cold War kind of um, espionage feel to it as well. Does that cover that question of why we, why Berlin is chosen? I think there's there's a lot there's a lot of information there, which is I think um, it'll be interesting to see that in play how it's implemented in each of the different kind of event events and and venues for those events that you um that you have lined up if we move on then because clearly you've been trawling through berlin by night and picking and choosing bits you like from it um so as you've got more and more involved with white wolf and uh and the games that white wolf is known for um what kind of things have as as you've explored these game settings that have kind of jumped out and you've discovered and just gone wow i need to include that in my game or that is in its own right the story of a game of a LARP that I need to run. Well, uh, we've been uh, ever since we started this uh, project with White Wolf. I've been sort of taking all the books down from from the shelf and and also talked a lot with Johanna, who of course we have a very extensive collection of of uh, White Wolf books, way bigger than mine, uh, like no, maybe no, five, okay. five 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 times there's, as big. I think there's at least hundred White Wolf books that I don't have. <laughs> Yeah, I I know, I know. Uh, I think I have a hundred, but not more than that. Uh, there's so much that I want to do, and that I think that's the big problem with with this is that when you start reading, and it it doesn't matter what book that you 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 start reading, there's always stuff that could be a great LARP, big or small. Uh, so I'm not sure I want to pick something specific, but a, th- a story that we've been talking a lot about with, that we really would love to do is take a bunch of werewolves and uh, p- players and, and, and make a werewolf game at midsummers in the northern, the utmost northern part of Norway. Hmm. Uh, and just uh, because since the sun is up all the time, that could be a very, very interesting experience and just get into cars and make a road movie and just drive 12 hours straight up into <laughs> that sun. Uh, so we we have already sort of halfway designed that and, and we'll see if we can get around doing it for next midsummer. That would be absolutely wonderful. And uh, I haven't really engaged much with Changeling, but it's really growing on me. So I've been reading a lot of, uh, of the old Changeling stuff and uh, I think I would uh, love to do something uh, in that space, I never engaged with it back in the day when it came out. Didn't think it was for me, but it's definitely re- it's a really cool game, and very dark. I thought it was very fluffy and beautiful, but it it is quite a dark game. So I, I enjoy it very much now. 
for me it's uh, like I played a, a really like a, like a vast amount of Vampire and, and these other games uh, when I was in uh, high school and when I was younger and then a little bit less in later years. And I think that uh, what happened to me when I played really a lot of it is something that has happened to many other people also who have played a lot of this stuff is that you start to go to drift away into the details. And, uh, and some of the very basic things about how these games work kind of disappear when you are too engaged in some of the more esoteric questions of the lore. And now that I have uh, started reading these books again from a more of a design perspective, I've really kind of fallen in love again with some of the very simple things. And sometimes that also creates new perspectives. For example, like Bjarke was talking about, about doing a werewolf game in Norway. And because when you read Werewolf, the Apocalypse, you will notice that uh, like nature or the experience of nature is obviously very central to that game. So then I thought that maybe, therefore, it would make sense to make the experience of being in nature also central to the lot about Werewolf, since those things are so closely tied in the game. So for me, it's really been a sort of a journey of discovery to all of these games, which I think are extremely strong. And I almost like feel that there is still some unexplored territory there uh, some some of those uh, some of those ideas yeah certainly uh Johanna, you bring up an excellent point and especially with regard to werewolf and kind of you know getting back to nature and the simplicity of the game's uh overall overall concepts um i do know of one werewolf the apocalypse larp uh, around here in new england and it's actually they go and they basically just do like a weekend camping trip uh and that's really how they set their uh their werewolf game and also, uh, here on Darker Days, we heard a story of uh, Sam Chupp, who was one of the early White Wolf writers, and uh, he had a werewolf LARP where they just kind of played on the beach shore, which was uh, definitely a lot of fun. It seemed like they ha- had a great time with that. So I think you're uh, definitely on the right track in that regard. It's funny. There's a werewolf uh, LARP campaign in Denmark called Rage Across Denmark, which run for like a really long time. It's played in a really systems-like style by these super immersionist players. And it's been going on for years and years. Hmm. They design it uh, collaboratively and they run it collaboratively. And I think they play it uh, outdoors, like just literally sitting around the fire in the middle of the night. Uh, and everyone involved is a really shockingly good storyteller uh, in, I guess, both senses of, of the world. Like they are also really good at telling stories. And a lot of this gameplay is just telling these stories about their community. And I have friends in this campaign who have lived with this, like wolf, with their wolves, with these characters for like five years or eight years. And they're very religious about not ever missing a game and so on. So for one thing, it's it's a pure example of this like magical tension between what these IPs bring, that the IP provides this world and the inspiration. And then what the players bring, which is like, community and and the life and these amazingly complex and moving stories and and even when sometimes the game mechanics of a specific game or some some of the focus of gameplay in some of these properties is actually counter to what the core concept has been the concept is so strong that people will you know buy these books and just mod them somehow just they're going to find the thing that they can play and they create these things and they love and they don't come out and say, oh, this was a terrible game. They say this was a great game and it allowed me to create the thing that I wanted to create, if this makes sense. Yeah, certainly. Um, and I mean, like the new, the Binite Studio stuff is really great for the uh, the accessibility of, you know, character creation and all that. So I definitely see what you're going with. And I think uh, uh, Lair of the Hidden, I would love to do Lair of the Hidden. Uh, can you rent out the castle for that? You can. We've, we've talked uh, to them. It's very, very expensive. Uh, so so we'll see. Uh, yeah. 
They they oh. have weddings there and so on, so uh, oh. you you can rent the castle. I'm, I think uh, it's burnt down in the in the lore, but but no, it's uh it's it's hidden from the eyes of humanity. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's the, how it is. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm a complete um nut for anything Venetian. Um, anything Venetian, like Mike, like um the Dark Ages um setting uh, has mm-hmm. a whole segment in Venice with uh with Nazis and uh, everything that leads up to the Fourth Crusade. So again, like being involved. Yeah, you know, a historical vampire setting there would be amazing, and I think there's plenty of places you can rent out for stuff there. Having been to um, a mass grave ball in the past, it would be that would be cool. <laughs> That's on my list of things I would love to see done. That sounds amazingly cool. We should do that. So, yeah, I should say, right. like we 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 talk so much about LARPs because they're because we're all LARP designers and we're and we're passionate about that stuff. I should say we're also all tabletop players. So like every time we have one of these ideas and it's not immediately convenient to run a LARP in Venice, which for other reasons we've been looking into, yeah. <laughs> then then this stuff is going to uh, is is going to like show up in a in in somebody's tabletop game in no time at all. It's wonderful to have both of these platforms available so we can we can tell those stories even when the productions become prohibitive. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and Johanna, you were going to say? No, I was just going to say that uh, I think Venice specifically, like the last time I was in Venice, I, I noticed that uh, the like the the old city in the center is is, is because it's it's very historically preserved, and mm. it's it's very LARP friendly. Also, I think just in terms of like what kind of a space it is, and I, and, uh, and I felt it. I thought it was very inspiring, and I thought also think that Venice is an interesting city in the world of darkness. For example, uh, one idea that we had at some point was that would it be interesting to do like a Giovanni game that was physically Venice is the Giovanni city uh, that would have like three levels where at one level it's you play the vampires, but there's another level where people play mortal members of the family, and a third level where people play dead members of the family. Oh right, yeah. Since, uh, the Giovanni sort of bridge bridge all of these levels, and then you maybe you could do it sort of like I I love this idea of doing World of Darkness at the actual place where it's supposed to be happening in the fiction. So Lair of the Hidden in the actual castle in in real Romania, or Giovanni in Venice, or like because because you can go there, you can you can rent rent locations. It's it's entirely possible to do that. It, it gets very quiet in Venice on the day after Carnival. I know it gets it's pretty much empty, so you can you can you have a lot of space to kind of almost take over. Uh, but moving on anyway, Mike, before we wax lyrical about that city, um, we've got another question. <laughs> yeah, we do. So this one comes from uh, uh, someone on Facebook, uh, Jorge, and he was asking uh, if this would be only a One World of Darkness event, or if there would be any Chronicles of Darkness material, specifically LARPs or anything like that. Uh, he's very excited about you know any kind of Requiem uh, games that might take place in Berlin. Well, we don't currently have uh, any Chronicle stuff programmed. We are aware that it has an enormous fan base, obviously. And, and from our perspective, it's totally all in the same family. Like, if if you love the White Wolf stuff, think you're warmly, warmly wake, welcome. I think, though, like, for us, just for the team, uh, World of Darkness is sort of the first love. Uh, and, and it also seems, from what we can see from our vantage point of talking to these people with some regularity, like... Uh, with Vampire the fifth edition, with the fifth edition of Vampire coming out next year, White Wolf is uh, needing to focus on that right now. Mm. 
but we're not white wolves. So for us, for our Berlin program, we are open for suggestions. But for me personally, what I would really love, because I don't know Chronicles that well at all, I'd love to hear like a really knowledgeable panel about about comparing the two, about, I mean, not on the surface level, that's obvious that you can just read up on, but like which lessons or concepts for Chronicles would really deserve it to be integrated in, in World Darkness going forward. And we're at this moment as well. We don't know what's going to happen with, with Chronicles. You guys would know, actually. You guys have all the news. <laughs> Chronicles is, is firmly being developed by Onyx Path Publishing, so it sits in it sits there quite happily and is having new books put out all the time. Um, I recently brought out like Secrets of the Covenant, which is a second edition Requiem book. But I mean, I know like in the UK, there's there's a, there's a a, a UK wide uh, Vampire the Requiem lark that goes on. I think actually for entirely for Chronicles of Darkness as well. So you know, it is there. It's be tapped in. But I, I can acknowledge the fact that you know White Wolf where they are right now. Uh, are trying to obviously capitalize on the most well-known IP that they have, and you can't fault them for that. That's fine, uh, but it would be lo- it would be nice again to just see, like you know, in much the same way, you know, Chronicles of Darkness publishing, obviously, and the way on it, White Wolf and Onyx Path kind of you know, you had that whole it, White Wolf was and wasn't, and Onyx Path rose up, and and obviously that kept at least the wheels turning to allow World of Darkness to come back and have a fifth edition. Uh, in the same respect, it'd be great if you know off the the coattails and success of one world of darkness that the other world of darkness but isn't the world of darkness but is worlds of darkness because i think that's the main feature of chronicles of darkness you can make it the players make it their own the people that run to run it make it their own because there's no metaphor it, it might allow for you know you can really do possibly if people want more variety of events in some respects you know you can really go off piste because you don't need to conform to a metaplot so for us i th- i think like we're also just enormous um believers yeah. in bringing people from different communities together so like on every like whether it's like vampire players from different countries or indie designers and 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 people who who create scenarios for for existing systems or all of these different kinds of like from our perspective like all role players benefit from speaking to each other. If you're creating anything in role playing games, talking to other people of similar interest is going to make us all better. Um, so, so I I don't see like if if you love vampire stories or werewolf stories, yes, like you should come and hang out and and have all of these conversations. So, I mean, get in touch uh, about about what it could be. It's not the focus of the convention uh, right now, but but we are, you know, we're really open to listening and learning more. Cool. Um, does anyone else want to weigh in on that? Or does that kind of uh, answer everything on that question, do you think? Yeah, I, I think that answers the question. Like, I can just say, like, for me personally, I'm just right now what I'm doing is I'm reading through a lot of uh, Chronicles of Darkness books because uh, there's so many good, good ideas in there also that uh, we can, uh, for example, use in the LARPs that although they are set in the classic world of darkness but a good idea is a good idea and sometimes oh yeah those are, those are kind of a structural or they're kind of subtle ideas that you, you, you nevertheless kind of uh, pick up on yeah i mean i mean that's the whole thing i mean mike i mean the whole point about this podcast whenever we've done book reviews you know we've always said like yeah it's for this game but you know there's no there's nothing ever stopping anyone using and transporting ideas from one thing to the other if it works it works for your own game and if it works like i i mean I'm sure, like some of the some of the more you know setting and historical material, possibly in, in Chronicles of Darkness, is perhaps in places maybe 
a bit more accurate because, of course, I think they put a bit more effort into trying to get writers from those places to write about that setting. Like the whole Shadows of the UK book for Chronicles of Darkness, all the writers are British for that. So, you know, it doesn't seem kind of hokey written from a <laughs> someone that's never been there. Um, so moving on. Um, so end of line was of course the the first kind of um the vampire the masquerade uh nordic style larp that was run and at uh world of darkness berlin it's gonna be run for the i say for the third time but actually you're gonna run it multiple times at world of darkness berlin yeah twice um yeah so so um what kind of things so we we've interviewed someone that's taken part in in that event previous in the first one and also you know we've we've read about people's experiences and reviews of that so Having run it already twice before now, and I, I guess maybe you've, you've demoed or, or at least you've know, tried other things out elsewhere, what kind of things have you learned in running that game? And then what surprises have emerged when you have run it that make the different instances of these of running that game kind of distinct? So really, what, what surprised you, what's emerged and made you thought that was a completely different way to how it was done the other way, but is interesting to take forward into running running the same game at berlin i think that uh, like the way the game is designed is designed to be very emergent so that uh, we try to give the participants as many tools as possible and then they use in a way that makes sense to them and what this means is that it's kind of like a very surprising game by design and one one characteristic of that game is that both times both in helsinki and in new orleans at some point i'm walking in the game i'm looking around and i'm starting to think that i'm not sure even exactly what is happening anymore because i'm not connected because i'm i'm not in the game i'm I'm out of it but i can just sense the energy that energy level is very high people are very intense they are very very strongly moving about doing stuff so i think okay it's looking good but i I would really love i really love to hear the stories afterwards like what it was all about i think if we go into very specific lessons i think the importance of uh, location and how the location affects the game can be, can be seen very kind of clearly when it's run in different locations. The Helsinki game was run in an uh, abandoned house or like an apartment building, a complete building that was uh, turned into a squad and then rented to us. So, so that's a, that's a space that has kind of like a, we had a dance floor in the attic, and uh, and lots of like small nooks and crannies and little places you could go. And what that meant was that masquerade, like it had a very concrete impact on the game in the sense that masquerade held very well. And the reason is is that uh, is that if you wanted to do some blood drinking stuff, you could hide, you could physically go into a closet if you wanted. So that's a thing that was made possible by the space. While in New Orleans we had uh, we had a very different kind of space as part of the as part of the Grand Masquerade uh, venue, which was a hotel. So it was part of the hotel space. And there, there were much, much less possibilities for this kind of thing. The space was much more compact. And that meant also that a certain kind of intensity was higher. The Masquerade broke totally because <laughs> there's no place to place to go to, to up, upkeep it. So, so, so I think it affected the kind of feeling. I think the Helsing game was much more kind of subtle much uh, while the, while the New Orleans game much much more kind of crazy <laughs> it had uh, this this energy that was, and that was very powerful. I think Johanna was mentioning before that core concept of end of the line basically is okay it's vampire the masquerade 
and it's a game of personal horror. But the runs came out, and that's like integrated into every character and everything that's happening in this LARP. Uh, but the runs came out quite different. So maybe it would be fair to say that the Helsinki run came became about what is it like to actually, because I should say that like something like two thirds of the characters in this LARP are mortals. Um, so, so this is really about ex- experiencing the masquerade, both from, from the perspective of humans who live in the world where vampires exist and from the vampire's perspective. Uh, and I think the New Orleans run, because the masquerade broke, it became, but, but it's also set in this, uh, at, a, at a moment now, in a c- contemporary moment in the world of darkness where the Camarilla is uh, not very present uh, in a lot of places, including including New Orleans. So then that lot became a lot about like, what is the Camarilla for? What is the masquerade for? Because when it breaks, all hell breaks loose. Hmm. And and it's really fun to play, obviously. I, I mean, people were really happy afterwards. But then they also came out and, and I asked like in, afterwards on the, on the internet, like, what will you bring back to your home campaigns from this experience? And that was one of the things that people people were saying. It's like, okay, uh, it, we know now what the stakes are uh, because this bloodbath, it's really fun to be in this super tragic bloodbath at a, on a dance floor, obviously. Uh, but afterwards, when you reflect on the meaning of what you have just experienced, uh, you're going to learn something about about um, the masquerade. That's super powerful, actually. Yeah, uh, you can see kind of very, especially in the New Orleans run, some some kind of dynamics that are about how the masquerade breaks that I had never thought of before. In a very simple way, that uh, let's say that somebody who is a little bit maybe stupid makes a bad decision. They embrace somebody at the nightclub, and then that victim immediately. It goes a little bit crazy and embraces somebody else. <laughs> and suddenly you have this have this kind of uncontrolled flood of, of, of new vampires sort of appearing. And, and nobody and, and also because of the masquerade, the vampires don't really know like is, is that guy a vampire that just is, is, is going insane or a drug addict? We are not sure <laughs> because uh, because uh, how can you tell? So so it's it's a very it's 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 confusing for for, for the mortals, but it's also confusing for the vampires, and, and then things can escalate and go wrong in in a, in a surprisingly quickly. I think uh, one thing that I learned uh, also was that uh, I mean it, it was a complete coincidence, uh, but but this because we were at, at Grand Masquerade uh, this year running this LARP, and it happened by coincidence, to be at a, at a very interesting moment, uh, slotting into these ongoing conversations in the in the U.S. Uh, mindset theater community in particular about immersive playing styles um, and also about player safety, uh, about how to how to play evil stories uh, while like not being dicks to each other, basically. And, you know, this week by Night Studios announced this anthology. I think they call it Mindside Theatre Immersion, Secret, Immersion Secrets that I'm writing in. Uh, and and also a bunch of the writers in that anthology played uh, End of the Line. And I think the causality is, is not like super clear. I think that, that, that End of the Line is uh, attracted a lot of people who are already interested in these issues. And, and, and a lot of World of Darkness players, vampire players specifically, who are interested in looking at, um, at tools... Uh, just like stealing really good ideas from other gaming cultures for from for how to make uh, games more interesting and also more safe. And of course, the the reason why you would want to make them more safe that, that the players would have a higher level of trust is that it allows you to engage with darker stories. Like you can tell these very gruesome stories in much more realistic styles if the players aren't enemies, uh, but work sort of towards the same goal. And my understanding from speaking to a lot of uh, of players and and 
at Grand Masquerade in general, and some also who played End of the Line in the US, that a lot of the conversation had been a little bit theoretical. That, that, but I mean, because we have this design, which has a very strong workshop and long workshop integrated, where you learn these tools, these consent negotiation techniques. Um, and in this LARP, the players have complete control of of what kinds of stories they engage in. And also the players have complete control in the simulation level. So so I can decide at all time, at times how physical, for instance, uh, or how sensual the interactions are going to be. And that allowed them to to play at a level of touching and violence and intensity that that you wouldn't be able to do in a safe manner or, or that people wouldn't even be willing to do without those safety rules. So so it's it's fun, I guess, always when you do something somewhere, it has these other impacts that you don't know about. We didn't, we had absolutely no agenda to go and like change something or demonstrate something in the United States. We were just like, we want to run this LARP and we have designed this LARP in this way because this is the way you need to design it to be able to play this content. And then it happened coincidentally to affect these other conversations. So um, it'll be really interesting to see who comes to Berlin to play it there. Uh, because it has really strong word of mouth, and I think people are curious about this. Um, and we encourage stealing, like come and try it, and whatever works for you, just like take it and bring it back to your LARP and and use it for something cool there. Mm, nice. So I think we're already kind of you know shifting focus into our next question here, which is you know based on your experiences with some of uh, the previous work you've done, uh, how does the uh, the World of Darkness LARP community? kind of differ from uh, other groups you've worked with and you know what makes them different and special i for me at least in uh, is that i i think that because the the world is so rich and and very much engineered for us to to fill in the gaps uh, it becomes very real and tangible when you design for for these worlds or, or play in them that that uh, that is very easy to become very passionate about uh, the direction and i think if you put on sort of that filter of uh, the world of darkness and and you look at our world it's super super easy to sort of see uh, sort of the fingerprints of werewolves or vampires or mages or changelings uh, and and i think that that is where it starts that it it is so good at a, a good a place to tell stories and 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 they become very intricate and and uh, interesting and sexy and dangerous uh, and that creates a community that that is very passionate and and is very focused about the world and uh, and and I think that's where it, it starts and of course there's many other passionate love communities but but in particular the the world of darkness community is a very very passionate and there's many strong opinions and there's many sort of schools of where to to take it and how to do it um, and that all comes out of that that passion so like I mentioned earlier, like I was quite young. I lied my age to get into Vampire LARP. But I played in that campaign for many years in that particular part of the sort of World of Darkness LARP community in this tiny corner of it. And many of those people I met in that LARP are still some among my closest friends right now. <laughs> and, and also people I like make LARP with and play tabletop games with and so on. So I feel uh, from that perspective... Uh, it feels very close, very close to me. But uh, there's a couple of things that I, I have uh, recently grown really to appreciate in this community. One of it is, is the tradition of making LARPs sort of in the city, like also like we are doing in in Berlin in Enlightenment in Blood. But that has a lot long history of uh, of, of this type of game in, in Finland, in 
in other Nordic countries all over the world. I've uh, I've heard examples of all kinds of super cool games, and I think uh, uh, the World of Darkness is uniquely suited as uh, as a fictional environment for making those games because it is our world sort of. You, you hear cool stories and uh, very very kind of inspiring things about uh, what kind of crazy things people have done with that framework. And the other thing I've, I've about this community that I've uh, recently started to notice is that when you go on Facebook and join these. Uh, uh, fan groups about Vampire the Masquerade or Mage the Ascension, like I have done, you notice uh, very, very extremely detailed discussions about uh, different kind of points in the game. And I was always thinking, was every time I read one of those discussions, I, I think that uh, I think that uh, the sort of stuff that is being created, it has to be able to somehow withstand this kind of uh, engagement. That you can't make stuff in a half-assed way. It has to has to be robust. It has to be good good quality, so that when people engage with it on that level as these people are doing, then uh, it still works. I, I want to say something about the players, but I I'm in a similar situation, Johannes. You like so many of my closest friends for like decades now are, you know, world larpers or 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 just or 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 they're playing all these games around the table it's so much of this gameplay in these worlds i think maybe especially vampire but i think all of this stuff now actually not even just especially vampire all of them the gameplay is so cerebral whether you larp or 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 tabletop i mean not in the line that's very physical and sweaty people will be sweating on each other but a lot of this typically uh, these games are very cerebral and it attracts players that are really smart and often verbal, and it means that, and, and obviously when you meet them, like, out of character, really nice, so smart, verbal, nice people um, are just great company. Uh, and then, I guess, also because of the nature of, uh, that's, I think, specific for Vampire. Uh, vampire attracts people who love drama, and this is, like, good sides and bad sides. So from a community design perspective, I think we have to we have to remember that we're engaging with communities that that love stories and love intrigue. Um, but if you keep that in mind uh, and, and, and sort of design for it, then these are some of the best people you can ha- hang out with. Said she sort of <laughs> self-congratulatorily. But I really, I, really, I really believe it. And always when I run, sort of meet these new friends, oh God, we made like 50 new friends in the US this year. Uh, and hanging out with them on Facebook has just been like the best uh, and you can see from their friends and like their walls that this is, you know, the fans of these IPs are really similar uh, everywhere you go. Awesome. So yeah, we've got another question uh, from from Facebook, and um, Andrew asked, "How does White Wolf LARP plan to bring in new fans going forward?" And I know you guys aren't White Wolf um, itself, but I figured you know you guys could talk a little bit about how these really you know, in depth uh, LARP experiences that you're that you're creating here and developing, um, how you see them bringing in new people going forward or how uh, other LARPs you've run have really like gotten uh, fresh blood in the past? I am, yeah, as you said, it, it, that is uh, a question I think White Wolf uh, should uh, answer uh, and they should probably answer it uh, when uh, you talk to them in, in, in Berlin. But I, uh, at least in my discussions with, with White Wolf and also uh, what they presented at their keynote in New Orleans is that one of their 
like one of the four main things that they're focusing on is LARPing and, and making sure that people engage directly with uh, the meta plot and directly with the the world itself. And, and they they firmly believe that, that what they're doing and the worlds that they're creating are inherently co-creative. Uh, and you need to engage with with uh, the fans of the IP and and and, and people who enjoy these worlds to be able to make sure that it goes forward. So, and they really really want to listen and they really really want to make sure that you engage with them and and have a direct effect on the world that they are now uh, sort of recreating or at least polishing. I should probably also say mm. that I guess one of the things, like I mentioned before, that we want people from different design traditions and communities to meet. And that's one of the, my, my, my biggest goal in Berlin is to get people to come who are, who are passionate about this stuff, but also have like a nagging feeling that either that they have come up with something that is amazing and other people should know, or that like it could be better. And I think almost everybody who has ever loved the world of darkness has that feeling. Like there are so many things that you love, and then there are so many things that also annoy you. And there's uh, <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think yes. I think Mike and I can vouch for that with certain book reviews. Sometimes oh, yeah. it's gone. Yeah, what is with that content or that rule, really, um, really exactly. So then it's wonderful to like go to a place where a other people have had this thought too, and b like you can think about and and that white wolf is. At this moment, they seem to be opening up the playing field and saying that, how about you do co-create something? Can I say something about the scenario competition here that we're running as well? Oh, yeah, of course. That's really cool. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So so uh, we have a scenario competition. Uh, you can, anybody, you don't have to come to the convention. It's open for anybody to um, to participate. Uh, and actually what you submit is a two-page synopsis in the first, in the first round. Um, and... And it's for one shot that should be playable in a four-hour time slot in a convention environment. So you can't demand a castle because we can't provide that. that. <laughs> and uh, there are two categories. Uh, you can either uh, design for one of the existing systems, core systems, or uh, you can uh, design what we call a bespoke uh, rules game. So so one where you also design the game mechanics mm. themselves. But everything has to, to fit on a very limited uh, number of pages. It's all on our website. Uh, that's uh, what worldofdarkness.berlin slash competition. You can find it all there. Um, and and then the finalists are going to be played at the convention. The finalists in, in uh, both categories are going to be published as an anthology. I mean, it's an indie game anthology, basically, but it's going to be an official White Wolf product. Uh, and I think it's probably the first time that that these sort of freeform, like that there's space for, for freeform designers or story game designers or LARP designers to make like an official White Wolf thing. Yeah. And White Wolf have set the theme uh, for us, uh, which is, they call it this world of darkness. I like it. So they want us to engage. They want all the, the designers to engage with, in some manner, metaphorically or practically um, with, um, with contemporary issues. But the awesome thing about that book is that like half of it's going to be, so I guess, you know, some of the people who buy it are going to be be people who just want to play an, a really nice, like, mage one-shot with their tabletop group. And and then they might be lured into trying some of the free-for-me stuff or the bespoke stuff. And then some indie game players or people who are in those communities, you know, who may love the world darkness, because a lot of people who now play other kinds of games, grew up on this stuff, can remember what's so awesome about mm. this so it connects to your questions about like bringing in new blood i'm very interested in bringing back the old blood who who lost faith and say this is still awesome 
that sounds like a really great um, competition to be involved in. Um, I, I, I would enter it. It would, feel, it would feel wrong to enter it. There's plenty of people that, uh, that are doing stuff because um, I, I link Bjark, the uh, the one shot Mike Mike played in that I did for Chronicles of Darkness. Oh, right. based on, it's based on my hometown um, and, and the legends around that. And that's just very, very mortal, typical, quintessentially English. And it all goes a bit weird. Um, but I mean, it'd be, um, but to think that people can get a chance to like, you know, their own little one shots that they can just roll out like that. Be, um, it'll be great to see what's, what content gets created and what can be used for any game, really, I guess, uh, from that. Yes, so Enlightenment in Blood is, of course, this uh, new uh, LARP story event that you're running. Um, so we know from what we've heard from End of Line, there were some interesting systems being used, like using scents to, um, to kind of, so you could know what type of mortal you were hunting and feeding from and so forth, and various other things like that. So how because enlightenment in blood is again another vampire art uh how is it in in some respects different to end of line how is it in some respects similar and are there some interesting systems that you're happy to kind of at least give a little teaser about because it's something that's going to be make that story different to the previous one so the way enlightenment in blood is is different is it has a much kind of broader view of what it's uh, trying to do and that also means that uh, it's not strictly speaking only a vampire larp it has also other things from the world of darkness what we are trying to do with it is to create kind of like a total simulation in a sense of what berlin could be in the world of darkness so it definitely does not have everything from the world of darkness, but it has many things from the world of darkness that it kind of makes sense to <laughs> be in Berlin, things that we have an idea for. But what this also means that the kind of uh, kind of systems that are in place are extremely simplified to make sure that uh, this uh, selection of different kinds of uh, things that are present in the game uh, functions properly and efficiently. But uh, just to make sure that uh, I haven't given the wrong impression of what it is, it's still very much a, a street-level game. I think that the kind of core experience of what it means, so we are talking about talking about like the experiencing one night in the world of darkness, and what that could mean is that let's say that your character is a, is a young anarch Bruja, let's say Bruja character. You have uh, you have come from uh, some shitty little town somewhere to, towards the bright lights of Berlin to have a more exciting life with. Uh, cool young vampires, exactly as young people do who are also not vampires when it comes to Berlin. So you come there and then you and, and you start the game at, at, a, at an anarch hangout with your anarch buddies. And you're uh, and uh, and uh, you do something there, but then you hear that there's maybe another party that sounds kind of exciting and there's interesting things going on and you get an address and then you are uh, and then you go to that place, and then you experience more things. Maybe you meet some people you you know from some other context, and you hear about a third place, and uh, and, and this way you go from location to location, and uh, also organically find out different things. And while uh, this young anarch Bruja character is is going through this story, there might be another character who is uh, who is uh, who is let's say um, the seneschal in the court of the Prince of Berlin, or maybe one of the Princes of Berlin. And, uh, and, and he starts in a, in a completely different kind of position in the LARP, but, uh, 
maybe for him the anarch party is is, is 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 strange and exotic and exciting and quite dangerous also so they can uh, it's very decentralized and the experiences are very different in terms of which is your starting point sorry i just wanted sorry. to say i don't know exactly what's like been said publicly so i can't but maybe you maybe you could also give an example of what what a werewolf experience could be like yeah so i think that uh, for a werewolf there are some very i think simple and straightforward ideas we have the bone growers we have the glass walkers so and of course there's still a long time until the larp or relatively long <laughs> we're working hard on it right now but uh, but some of these ideas are still more on a development stage but uh, but for example depending on the locations we are able to get a squad of uh, of bone growers to me makes like a, it's a very simple werewolf idea and of course if there's a squad of bone growers there can also be an advertising agency of class workers and of course the masquerade is is, is key to making a larp like this because uh, it can be that uh, your vampire character goes to a to a party and the party is in a squad and then after half an hour you realize that wait a minute this is a werewolf i mean a werewolf party oh my god i'm gonna <laughs> die and uh this is uh, i think something that can make it very interesting because you can have these uh, moments of horrible realization oh if only you could sign me up to play virtual adept that, that's my that's my uh, bread and butter of a game um obviously i'm completely obsessed with them from mage um but yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, that's completely great. Mike, what do you think of that? <laughs> sounds pretty good to me. And, uh, you know, I was looking through your website and there was uh, a lot of cool ideas that you guys were, were discussing regarding uh, Enlightenment and Blood. And one of the things I was really curious about is that uh, you guys are going to have some character creation software, uh, I guess, on site to kind of help people with um, coming up with their character and making sure that they're able to get involved in some of the the different stories in the game. Uh, I was hoping you might be able to just kind of drop some tidbits about that and kind of uh, you know get people excited. Yeah. So normally in the or traditionally in the Nordic uh, life scene, uh, you create all of the characters uh, as a designer and then you distribute it to your players. And and that of course takes a lot of time. And if you have like say sixty to ninety people as you have in end of the line. Uh, it's doable. It's but if when you take in Lightman and Blood, where hopefully as many uh, people uh, that are coming to uh, World of Darkness Berlin will will participate, so it, it's potentially hundreds and hundreds of people. Then it suddenly becomes very difficult to to write those characters. Also, that people will uh, sign up uh, late for the convention, and then they want to play the lab as well. So. So it's not really viable to to do it in the the way that we traditionally do it. So the idea came up that we would make uh, get the help of uh, some software that we are developing, where you go and you choose some elements. For example, if you wanna uh, play an adapter, if you wanna play a bone gnor, and so on. Of course, we all have like our own little favorites within the world of darkness, and as much as we can accommodate, we, we would love to have as many of the things as possible. Uh, I think you and I, we sort of have a saying that if we can come up with something interesting, then it has a place in Berlin. Uh, if we can't, then then it's probably not going to be there. Uh, so, so some of the stuff you choose, some of the stuff, uh, sort of the internal parts of the character, how you are as a, as a creature and what you think and what your morality is and so on, will be decided uh, 
via some uh, choices you make and some some questionnaire you go through where you answer some maybe philosophical questions or uh, some some other questions and that will uh, then generate the inner workings of your character that's really cool is that a type of looking to the future is that a type of thing that as a software can be rolled out to to people that want to run their own events because I can see that that if that's the front end to help lead to those choices, the mm. back end is obviously where you create the the characters that have certain bits that can be shifted and 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 suited to different types of characters. Because obviously, you know, if you're playing a, the difference between a glass walker and say a virtual adept is there's the technology thing that's that's similar, but the difference yeah. is the the uh, the splat as we call it. The, yeah, th- yeah. That's the difference. So I think that's really that's really cool and and um, yeah, from a computer programming kind of thing and a procedural thing, that's that's really wicked. Um, yeah, and it's 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 all about that. Every time you close one door by making a choice, you also open some other ones. The idea is that to open uh, open up for a lot of stuff uh, a month or two before the convention so people can start choosing and preparing and they also need costume okay. and so on. And depending on how many people sign up, more slots will be open for this uh, various types of of creatures that uh, are available. So uh, we don't we want people to play whatever they really want to do. But of course, <laughs> if we have a city filled with like two thirds of Tremere's, then maybe it's going to be a little bit weird, right? So, uh, yeah. it's just a pyramid scheme. It's just a pyramid scheme. <laughs> just a pyramid. I think, uh, yeah, we didn't answer the question about the about the software uh, being available or, or licensed. I think it looks like mm. it's not going to be uh, at this okay. time. Um, okay, I think that answers about the software, doesn't it, Mike? Yes, it does. That's pretty cool. I like it. I'm psyched. I think it's an awesome idea. Um, Okay, so for the next question, I mean, this covers, um, this is going beyond the the LARP uh, events that are going to be at World of Darkness Berlin. Um, So obviously there's going to be, there's venue space for more than just the LARPs then. So there's venue space for tabletop gaming as well. And I believe also, is there also venue space for Vampire the Eternal Struggle, the card game? Uh, based on Vampire the Masquerade? What we want at uh, World of Darkness Berlin is basically any uh, any way that you can interact with the World of Darkness. So that that includes LARP, it, it, it includes uh, tabletop, and it, uh, it includes the, the card game. And, and we are in talk with uh, the European organization that, that have the European championships and, and talk with them right now about if we should have a competition at uh, Berlin together with them. Uh, and uh, we would very much like that. And, and hopefully it will be locked down and settled before... Uh, the new year begins so much more on that on the website in the coming weeks but but yes that, i i definitely hope that we will have uh, have a lot of uh, eternal struggle going on yeah i really also i hope people also bring along some of the the board games that have been based oh, on both uh, vampire the masquerade mm-hmm. and vampire the requiem because there's two uh, you know kind of prince of the city type games um i've never had the chance to play and you know It'd be great if there was just you know a game ready to join and just just to see it in action. And the same for Vampire: The General Struggle. I know Jack about it. Mike, however, is um... yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I'm the uh, I'm the uh, American uh, champion of the losers bracket. I'm the best <laughs> of the worst when it comes to Vitesse. 
Congratulations. <laughs> I, I think, no, but I, I mean, even if we don't have anything formal, uh, like even if we don't have an actual competition, uh, it would be amazing. Obviously, we want people to play. And like, I think immediately you have suggested two very good program items. One would be like bring board games and run them if you have these board games and run them and love own them and want to come and, and run a session for somebody who hasn't tried them before or somebody who loves them with a passion, get in touch. We can put you on the program. And uh, and of course, I think, yeah, I mean, like I think for card games, I think there's a lot of people who would like to try who, who just never got around to it, who would love to learn. And if anyone's willing to teach, that's, uh, that's also <laughs> something we'd love to see on the program. Excellent. And I think a, a very important thing about the program is that it, it is open. So, so we... Uh, World of Darkness Berlin will not function unless uh, people come and show and tell uh, what they're doing and, and what they're passionate about and, and talk in panels about how to create worlds or uh, how their campaigns are running or how they run their tabletop and how they've been doing for many years or showcase stuff they've done or play board games and so on. And and you just go to, to the website and, and, and there's a form where you can contact us and say you really want to do uh, something uh, and then uh, then we will uh, we'll talk and uh, and everything is is basically accepted if we feel that it's it's something that uh, will benefit everybody and and i think that is the the core thing about berlin is that we have been doing this for so many years many of us and we have so much to share and we can learn from each other uh, no matter what the medium is that you are engaged with the most you, i can learn from the from the card games i can learn from the board games and tabletop and so on. Yeah, because looking at your program, you've got quite a, you've got some interesting things already on there. Like there's uh, some there's a talk about uh, a workshop about the prosthetics for obviously people wanting to create prosthetics for the various different characters across all of these IPs. It's like you know whether you're playing a Nosferatu or uh, a type of werewolf or some type of you want to make your ghost for Wraith. That's really cool. Um, and uh, I can't imagine what other things you've possibly got coming up that you just need to finalize and then announce. Like you've got a bit of time to have stuff come in, and that's it's cool that people can obviously come forward and uh, hopefully offer their services in some exciting manner. We are just now talking to three different. Uh, designers of LARPs that want to run their LARPs at uh, at Berlin. So there's definitely going to be more LARPs, uh, some short, some long, uh, and there's going to be may, many more, uh, many more stuff about uh, whatever uh, thing that people are doing out in the world with World of Darkness. I'm I'm super psyched about what people are bringing in. There's going to be so much cool stuff. But we're going to keep on publishing uh, new program items, uh, basically all the way up to the convention, and and there's going to be so much to choose from. So. It's going to be super cool. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, we just had the uh, the Convention of Thorns uh, major LARP event with, you know, really cool high production values and kind of a classic setting. And we've already talked here a little bit about maybe doing something in the future with Layer of the Hidden or something in Venice. Um, so I was kind of just wondering, what sort of uh, historical settings would you really like to explore in a uh, live action setting for uh, World of Darkness? Well, uh I'm just gonna say that this is gonna be a sort of blue skies thinking. <laughs> so <laughs> this is not a, this is not mm -hmm. a promise that these are games that actually happen. But uh, right, but right. we were actually talking a little bit with Bjarke about uh, about that, and I think that uh, the thing that captured our imagination was the idea of uh, of a world of darkness set in the far ancient past of the 80s, because I think that there's a lot <laughs> of stuff in the in 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 in, in that era that is. Uh, 
quite nice nice for vampire one of the first things that came to my mind was uh, was this kind of cocaine cowboys 80s yeah. miami drug culture that sort of thing because uh, to me it almost feels like the actual historical things that were happening there at that time in the criminal world were almost like vampire already yes. even uh, even without any of the vampire like uh, the stuff is so crazy have you looked at the because there's a particular book that immediately comes to mind, which is um, oh, what can't I now think think of the name? Mike, what's the one that's the eighties Requiem book? It's called New Wave Requiem. New Wave Requiem is you know, is is all that, and I'm sure you can just you know plunder it for ideas for that kind of thing to get some inspiration. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a load of things. You've also got like you know the the very serious. Uh, uh, issues uh, around, like you know, the to do with uh, sexually transmitted diseases and, and AIDS, and how that re- relates to vampires. So you can you can look at that very serious topic and how that has some influence in it to how vampires act in that setting. Um, yeah, that level of paranoia and fear, which also I, I'm sure has some sort of uh, resonance with with modern day things and, and current things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like. Uh... Uh, this is just my style, but, uh, <laughs> but, I, I, but I think doing doing it in uh, doing it in a too funny a way, I think, would be a tragic waste of potential. Because, <laughs> because, of, because, of, because of course you can do that, but uh, but I think there's uh, there's a kind of an uh, extreme. It's kind of an age of extremes, and <laughs> there's yes. so many so many so many things going in different directions in terms of themes. That on one hand you have this amazing level of excess. Just some things like uh, like the venture the, and that, that kind of world of money, and at the same time you have, uh, like you mentioned, uh, the whole uh, whole uh, age situation in, in the U.S. and around the world, and a lot of things like that where the kind of uh, fates people have are are very tragic mm. and, uh, and, and and very very different. I have uh, I have a dream. Uh, I've been <laughs> recently uh, reading up on like avant-garde theater of of like the sort of first World War period. Bear with okay. me. Uh, so things like the cabaret Voltaire, who are with the Dadaists in Switzerland, and uh, and uh, and also the theater of cruelty, which is uh, of course really well well known um, as well. And these were these like weird art spaces where they were putting on these very extreme. Um, performances of, of different kind and very much in sort of in reaction to all the violence and, and madness of like the age that they were that they were living in and, and and this feeling that all of meaning was collapsing and so on and I haven't quite nailed exactly what the what the connection is but there's something about like violence and and mortality and immortality that makes me think that somewhere here there is like the perfect world of darkness idea and I don't know what it is yet but I'm I'm, I'm gonna figure it out and then just staging those like and also maybe a part of this just that I just want want an excuse to 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 restage those like very iconic moments in like absurdist theater and then um people it with with characters to whom like who also have the luxury in some way to think about the absurd mm. uh, because they're not mortal or or they are in these very strange life situations or unlife situations for themselves. I love that. Uh, yeah, uh, if you got a, um, well, you have I, a, a I, dream I, as well, or I, I have so many. I'm, I'm I'm a World War One nerd, so I would love to do stuff there with werewolves, uh, sort of that 
the way that nature changes to a complete wasteland, I think there's great potential doing stuff there with trench warfare and and werewolves. It's it's I think it's super difficult to do, but but that would be great. I would also love to do like Alaskan gold rush in the midst of winter when the sun never comes up. Vampire, that would be absolutely oh, would great. Be great. Uh, yeah, I love that. But that's sort of the two main things, and 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 of course, do do something on a weird continent would also be great. Like going to South America into the jungle, doing stuff there, just because it's. It's it's a wild and crazy idea. It's it's not impossible to do. It just takes a lot of work, and the tickets, of course, are going to be like massively expensive. So, but uh, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so just kind of like starting to to wrap things up here. Uh, with regard to World of Darkness Berlin, um, what sort of other competitions do you have going on? We mentioned the uh, kind of cool story contest, but uh, what other things can people people get involved with uh, at the show? Well, we we have something we call the World Championships of Darkness, uh, which is essentially like a really epic quiz show. Um, mm. I feel that people who are super knowledgeable about lore don't get the respect they deserve. <laughs> and of course, uh, to be in the finals, you you actually I think we, what we're going to do is we're going to you're going to be able to qualify online, so everybody gets to try out and see if they if they would be able to qualify. But then I mean, if you are if you do qualify, then you actually have to go to Berlin to to do the thing. And currently, we're looking at at at, at that you have to write you have to sit a written exam. So it's going to be like school, very, Excellent. very serious, Excellent. very serious. And then the finalists, maybe three people, we're going to put them on stage to do, to do like, the, to, to talk on the kind, to the kinds of questions that you can't answer with multiple, with multiple choice. Um, it's obviously going to be a lot of fun, uh, but it's also going to be, I th- well, I, I think it's going to be like, like super exciting if, uh, if you're into this stuff, um, because it, you can't watch something like this or you can't, you know, engage with something like this and not also compete in your mind. So even if you're just sitting watching the finals, I think it's going to be thrilling. <laughs> so that's something that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, an important part is, of course, that the competition is run by uh, one of our friends who is a doctor of astrophysics. Uh, he's called Suksu Rasanen, and he's been running, I think, for 17 years, a vampire campaign uh, with all of the books. Hmm. So... Whoa. All, he, he has read all of the books and uh, and he remembers all of the things in all of the books so he every everything is is in the campaign it's yeah he knows a lot uh, Johanna has been playing that campaign on and off so it's uh, it's gonna be really I play, exciting uh, I play in that campaign it's he's a wonderful game master because uh, I've learned a little trick on how, how, how you survive in that game and that is you, you have to ask so what do you think would be the thing I should be doing? And then you will get a very good answer. How to spend your XP, how to win difficult situations using your superpowers, and similar word of darkness problems. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's going to be amazing. I guess technically uh, we're bringing in a, um, a LARP called Dancing with the Clans, which is basically a, a dance-off. Like you, you sign up in clan teams, and then, then it's a disco dance-off, uh, it's so much fun. I have seen this played. Uh, it's insane because it's there's this sort of beautiful, weird balance of like you have to be pretty serious about this stuff to be able to do this. But then while you're actually doing it, it is sort of competitive sort of disco dancing. Just ridiculous enough to 
to sort of that it doesn't matter like it's all about if you go all in it doesn't matter very much if you're a good dancer or not but of course when people are it's even more enjoyable and one very good dancer uh, in fact a, a much underappreciated dancer is is Mark Reinhagen and he has promised uh, to participate in dancing with the clan so I think he's looking for a team so so uh, I, I'm not sure what clan he wants to dance um, but if you have ideas uh, I think you can reach out to him on Facebook and try to recruit him for your team wow okay Cool. Uh, is that, does that cover all the competitions then, or, or events like that? Um, I guess you know, again, you said like if people have got more ideas, they can uh, get in contact. Um, I don't know Nosferatu-based hide and seek would be something. You know, ultimate hide and seek or something like that. I don't know. Um, um, so I guess we're on to the last question then, Mike. To, uh, to well, not quite the last question to finally round off. So. Of course, this is World of Darkness Berlin. That's the event. Um, which other European cities would you like to consider for in future, maybe, that you think would be a good fit for a follow-up to World of Darkness Berlin or that you did consider? So yeah, maybe there was a top three choices that you had in mind other than Berlin uh, that would fit. Just purely yeah. interested, really. Yeah, so, so of course, Stockholm was on the list since White Wolf is in Stockholm, uh, Copenhagen, yeah. because that's the city I've lived in uh, most years and I know it intricately. Uh, and then it, it's uh, it's Berlin. That was the the top three in like the three, two, one order. Uh, and mm-hmm. the number one was Berlin. I would love to do stuff in Istanbul. I think that would be absolutely yeah, great. Yeah, sure. yeah. Cairo would be great. Not, not Europe, but uh, <laughs> Cairo would be great yeah. to do stuff in. But Istanbul is really difficult now, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's sad, but we also have to look at the at the politics here. I mean, for very similar reasons, I should, I should have mentioned it before when we were talking about Romania. Romania is uh, really corrupt, uh, unfortunately. So it's also re- very difficult to, to do productions there for those kinds of reasons. So, so um, yeah, yeah, it kind of sucks. But, of course, we have to, to keep an eye on the real world uh, events yes. uh, as well as the world of darkness. I've been to Edinburgh a couple of times this year, and I've never I'd never been before, but Edinburgh's, that struck me as like amazing potential for this kind of thing as well. So yeah, beautiful. Edinburgh's great. Um, I think you know just because I'm purely biased, I think there's certain places around uh, Manchester because you again get that '80s feel because you had um, uh, you know some classic '80s clubs there, like where you know various bands like um, New Order and so forth kind of started out, and um, also the whole Victorian kind of industry uh there but that's my bias totally total bias not that i've run an entire vampire setting based on on manchester at all uh as well um yeah i guess that leads us to the last question then doesn't it mike our classic closing question for all interviews it it does it does but before we get to that i just want you guys to uh you know kind of uh tell people where uh they can contact you uh you know maybe like a twitter account or something if they have any questions or maybe an email on the uh world of darkness berlin website just to kind of uh you know, people have further questions or are excited about the uh, the con coming up, uh, they can get in contact with you. Um, yeah, our website is worldofdarkness.berlin. That's it, worldofdarkness.berlin. And our Twitter is at wood underscore Berlin. So W-O-D underscore Berlin. Um, and I guess those are the easiest, uh, easiest ways. There's a mm-hmm. Facebook group. And I think there's actually some people who are going to the convention have started up like a social hangout Facebook group as well to get to know people. I should also say, if you're interested in, in submitting um, to the scenario competition, you should really look into it. Like it's, it is a relatively low threshold. It's, it's, two, it's two pages, just the thing that you need to hand in at first. And then out of those, 
uh, a number are selected to to um, submit like a full a full game. Uh, so you're you're not investing months and months of time in this unless you have a decent chance of of actually being played at the convention. And there's also a special uh, Facebook group uh, for for people who are potential authors to. Um, to share inspiration and and ideas and support each other and if you're even considering uh, uh submitting you can check that out i think it's authors uh for world of darkness berlin on facebook great great yeah we'll uh put some links into the show notes so that people can easily uh, get to all of that and now for the final closing question we ask everyone this when they're a guest on our show and uh get to ask each of you individually so um bjarka if you could be a household appliance, which would you be and why? That's a great question. Um, I think I would be the uh, cast iron skillet because hmm. uh, I think that's the, the tool I use the most in the kitchen and it, it can be used for everything and anything. If you have that, you can cook anything. Uh, Johanna, how about yourself? A household appliance. I can't figure out a metaphor that makes it. What's like really loud? I'd be a radio, probably. Like, just going on and on. But sometimes there's, uh, you know, it's it's important for democracy and, and, like, <laughs> and some valuable stuff can come out of there. But mostly it's just noise and entertainment. Excellent. And Johanna, how about yourself? I think I would have to say that uh, my answer would be a blender. To me, it seems like just a very satisfying existence that you can just sort of sit there <laughs> and turn everything into goo. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> great, great. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, uh, for coming here on the show. Uh, definitely appreciate all the great information about World of Darkness Berlin, and uh, sounds like it's going to be an exciting time. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. We're thank really you. looking forward thank to you. seeing you there. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll. We're. Uh, I think I'm pretty much locked in for it. Um, I think. Yeah. There's stuff to go in the background, Mike. I guess you're working out. But would. We'll be there in some sort of presence, that's for certain. And, yeah, yeah. Ninety uh, percent chance I'll be there. 90%. Maybe ninety-five. Ninety-five. That's pretty awesome. Um, right. Well, I guess that's it. And yeah, thank you for um, coming on and taking the time to answer a lot of questions. And with that, Mike, we'll be moving on to our last segment of the show, won't we? Yep, that's right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then be back with a secret frequency. In 2011, we brought you Krampus. In 2013, we brought you The Devil's Footprints. Now, in 2016, we're ahead of the memes, all right? And we're bringing you the most terrifying holiday secret frequency yet. The Yule Cat. (laughs) So deep within the rolling hills and short forests of Iceland, the giant, fearsome beast slumbers, emerging at the end of each year to hunt. It hungers for human flesh, prowling through the sparse countryside and urban sprawl alike, waiting to pounce with sharp teeth and fierce yellow eyes. There's only one way to ward off the Yule Cat, and that's to put on a new piece of clothing. That's right, fresh socks or a new (laughs) ugly sweater from Grandmom are all you need to keep the cat at bay. And interestingly, if we dig a little bit deeper into the legend, the Yule Cat is purported to be owned by the giantest uh, gorilla, who is a cruel creature living in the Dimu Borgir lava field, uh, who captures and punishes naughty children. According to legend, she is never short of food. 
So, alright, how do we use the Yule Cat in the World of Darkness without making it just, like, outright silly? Um, okay, yeah. um, I'm gonna jump in with the one, because I, I think um, I suggested that it's it's a great creature that's possibly an aspect of uh, the Wild mm-hmm. Hunt for Changeling and the Lost, and I think with how Changeling the Lost is getting more the Wild Hunt, or that concept is gonna be more featured, it could be a great kind of um, form for one of those fae type creatures that are sent out by the gentry to um, to obviously steal children. Uh, it fits It fits in that kind of way. Um, so obviously it's some sort of fae creature. Uh, it has obviously particular bands, which is you wear fresh, brand new clothes that have to be all completely brand new. So that band, that idea, fits in perfectly with that. Or, obviously, it could be a creature... Uh, that uh, an aspect um, that that is used by the um, by the Winter Court. So the Winter Court is all about uh-huh. fear yep. and about accept. Uh, no, no, they're not about sorry about fear. They're about hiding, but also the Autumn Court is about fear. So maybe they work together with this wintry, fearsome creature, and it's a way of almost telling a mimetic lesson to humans about how to hide and the idea of changing clothes is also something within your mind to allow you to hide from the gentry when they come to hunting so it could be used in both ways I think that. yeah that's that's certainly a great idea um, I, actually one thing I was thinking of was for werewolf uh, the yule cat kind of makes this interesting animist spirit um, you know perhaps some sort of like pre-modern spirit of consumerism oh yeah um, so you know, when you look at 18th century Iceland, you've got uh, wealthy landowners that use the tale of the Yule cats to kind of encourage workers to reach their quotas for wool. Um, and because of that, the Yule cat manifested into something more or less tangible in the Umbra. Um, and these kind of archaic spirits are always a trouble for the Guru and the Uratha alike. Um, so you really have to figure out, do we destroy this or do we try to set it onto a, a more beneficial task uh, for the modern era? Mm. That's really cool. Yeah, I can. it would be also an interesting creature that if it, if it possesses someone and you, know, you get one of the ridden, because then you've got a human that is, again, like bearing cat-like features that are slowly emerging as the uh, spirit takes hold. Um, at least in, in Wealth of Satan, that's how, how that works with the, uh, the ridden and the claimed. Uh, and that then allows you to get in that kind of animistic, kind of human half cat kind of thing versus the werewolves. And you know, I'm sure it's a very big cat. Uh, I've seen the cats they get in Norway. They're they're big, fluffy mofo's. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um, any other ideas then, Mike? Uh, oh, I got plenty. I got plenty here. Yeah. I'll give you another one. This actually comes from Chig because we were talking about it uh, earlier. So Chig said that the Yule Cat may be some sort of a uh, Thelane, which is one of the fae in Changing the Dreaming um, from their dark court, which, amongst other things, eats humans. So, okay, you can see that there's kind of a, an easy connection right there. It's a good starting point for an antagonist, but you could actually take this a step further. Um, maybe the Yule Cat was indeed some sort of ancient uh, Thelane uh, that existed up until maybe the 18th century, we'll say. And now, in modern times, in the modern nights, uh, as the legend kind of comes back in memes and the sort, uh, maybe there's a puka who sets out to emulate this dark legend to kind of eke out any glamour he can from unsuspecting mortals. Mm. Which really opens up this kind of uh, fall from grace story in many ways, where this changeling 
uh, continues to reap glamour from the mortal world, uh, they might have to turn to some darker deeds to uh, reinforce the act they're putting on and becoming the Yule Cat itself. Interesting. Um, I had an idea. Maybe it is actually just a cryptid. But the, the reason for why the new clothes is important is perhaps the cryptid, so this big, almost, a, you could almost think it's possibly, it's like a, like in the UK when you get alien big cats, when I say alien big cats, I mean like people that are brought into the British Isles, like you know, lions, tigers, and so often they get set mm-hmm. free and kill livestock. But what if it's a, it's a large cat, but the reason the, the, the legend persists that it, um, is deterred by new clothes is actually it is sensitive to the um, to the dyes and chemicals used in in the manufacturing of clothes. So that's where the the legend has more of a basis in a in a science, but that could work then quite well with like something like Hunter the Vigil. There. Yeah, certainly. I don't know if I brought this up before, but regarding great cats in the UK, uh, a lot of those right. legends or myths uh, appear around Glastonbury, UK, where of course there uh, are no big cats. They yeah, what's up? Yeah, there's there's a there's a few. There's there's different ones. There's one that's around Manchester, which is called um, a striker, which is a big black cat that smells of like wet. That's wet and smells of like the swamp or something and roams the moors. Um, so it's interesting that the the concept of alien big cats predates possibly. Well, it dep- I say predates, but then you don't know. You go far enough back when obviously Britain, Briti- the, the British Empire. Uh, was clearly colonized in everywhere. You know, it only takes a few mental landowners to bring back. Oh, that's a wonderful creature to bring back. You've got like the local equivalent of the beast of Gévaudan, but uh, like in because yeah. in, in, in the film, in the film Brotherhood of the Wolf, the, the beast, which is apparently a wolf, actually turns out to be a lion. Uh, spoiler alert! Um, yeah, if you've not seen it, spoiler alert. Um, yeah, we really needed a wooga button on that and to put in place. But, but the point is, like, you know, I think that possibly is where those legends could come up from. But I mean, I don't know what you're saying with um, Glastonbury. Does it, how far back does that go? Well, all right, here, here, we're gonna go down oh, a okay. hole, Chris. <laughs> Glastonbury, UK, great cats. Me, I grew up in Glastonbury, Connecticut, in the United States, which actually does have bobcats and uh, and uh, mountain lions, for example. So, what Christ. if there's some sort of a link? They have the same name. Then one day, I was looking at some geologic maps, and the name of the geologic strata in Glastonbury, Connecticut, yeah. is called Avalon, which King Arthur, Glastonbury, UK. Look, it's it's clearly that they're, they're linked somehow by a portal. Is what I'm saying, Chris. Oh, okay. You say these these cats come out from uh, deep in the ground, and that the, somehow they're connected by the hollow earth kind of theory. Possibly. Even better, Chris. Even better. Yes. Oh well, okay, fine. We'll go with that. Um, All right. Anything for the other games? Uh, oh God. Um, Promethean. I guess it's a crazy. That would be a weird ass Pandora. Um, I can't imagine. A Pandora related to Christmas. What if, oh god, that's a horrible idea. A Christmas tree where every bauble is a Pandora. What about anyway? Um, <laughs> yeah, in, in Prometheum, what about a? Uh, I've always had this kind of image of a uh, of a kind of ragdoll uh, Promethean of sorts. So maybe like the Yule Cat is actually searching not only for clothing in this case. You know, maybe clothing doesn't actually ward it off. That's just a you know false premise. This Yule Cat is actually looking for flesh and clothing to stitch together some sort of a, a ragdoll 
uh, version of itself, and that's really what the Yule Cat is. Oh, uh, well, okay, so cool. rather than clothing, it is actually the flesh it's taken away to mm-hmm. renew itself. Oh, okay, cool. Um, oh, I have no idea. If, nothing for Mummy would be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> mummy, Mummy, Mummy. I don't know, set, cats? Um, yeah. You mean Bastet um, for cats? Oh, uh, indeed. Well, uh, set, set, the god Set had a relationship to cats, right? I'm, I'm remembering yeah, I think, that correctly. No, set, set is snake. Uh, I think it had a relationship to snakes as well. As well I, as I think it's it's the opposite of what World of Darkness is. All right, we're gonna go we're gonna go look this up live in the show. Live in the show. That I think Set is related to a creature that never really existed because he has the weird nose. It looks like some sort of cross between like a rabbit and something else. Um, uh, that's, no, there's that's nothing me, on the Wikipedia article. That's me thinking about the the various things and about kind of the joke on um, on uh, Stargate that um, Teal makes about the uh, set guard, you know, the um, the uh... <sighs> yeah. Christ, we're not talking about Stargate. <laughs> Christ's sake. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I can't think of really how it fits really well with anything else in the world of darkness. Um, it could be. It could essentially also going back to 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 werewolf and thus mage and so forth. It could just also be a very old god that's taken a form that's more uh, easier to stay within our reality if it takes on a more animalistic form. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think we've exhausted that. <laughs> I got one more. I got I got one more, Chris. I was thinking of Vampire the Masquerade. Maybe these aren't right. great cats. You know, maybe it's not some giant cat that's uh, terrorizing the village. But instead, what if there was like a local Zemitsi Priscus who only awakens from torpor during the winter months? And when he does, he sends out his little four-legged schlachta, his uh, kind of flesh-crafted ghouls, uh, to capture unsuspecting victims. So the legend of, you know, clothing protecting you is false, but uh, there's certainly some truth to safety in numbers. So as it turns out, just spending time with your family and friends for the holidays is the best way keep the Slacta away. Hmm. Excellent. Yeah, I, that's, I think that's it. That's, I think we've covered everything for the Yule Cat. Um, I have to thank Sam for bringing my attention to that one. When I heard it, I was like, the what? Like, that's so... And I thought the Krampus was a weird Christmas thing, but, you know, the Yule Cat. Yeah, certainly. So... Yeah, I think it's a good time to kind of close out the show here. Um, we, of course, are Darker Days Radio. You can check us out on Facebook. Uh, we have uh, facebook.com slash Darker Days Radio. Uh, we have our Twitter account at Darker Days Radio. And uh, you can also, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, shoot us an email over at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Uh, anything else that we uh, should cover, Chris? Uh, we have our constant Google Plus community. Um we have all the videos we've done with Beast of War. Uh, we have, um, hopefully, we should be doing some more stuff with them in some way to spread the word about World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness. Um, Certainly. So that'll be good fun. Um, I think that is that is everything that we've got. And, of course, we've got the blog where you can read and everything about any gaming that we post up, which is just... Right now, it's toy soldiers. It doesn't fit the podcast medium to talk about, but you know, that's there. Of course, though, you can come. You can also find uh, more content with our friends at. Uh, well, you can find us at Network Zero, 
for some Chronicles of Darkness content. Uh, we've got our friends at Midnight Express for more um, classic World of Darkness content. And um, we always got our good friends over at uh, Full Metal RPG who are doing um, fun World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness content and say lovely things about us. And their show is great. Especially if you want to listen to D&D stuff. Um, I haven't really delved into their D&D stuff, but Mike, have you listened in on their shows for that? No, I mostly just check out uh, their Shadow Sworn Radio, which is World of Darkness focused. But yeah, Full Metal RPG is pretty dope. Yeah, cool. Well, that is everything, I think. Um, so I hope you enjoy the show and yeah, get in contact with us. And hopefully we might see you at World of Darkness Berlin. Certainly. All right, everyone. Good night. Good night. I was going to ask, like, because obviously you've also had, as a LARP event recently, you had um, the Convention of Thorns event, and the scale of that event compared to End of Line and, I guess, to Enlightenment Blood uh, are quite different in, in some respects. So is there kind of uh, at least an acknowledgement going forward in the future that not only do you want to obviously run more of these uh, high-quality LARP events, is also to at least to somehow support and help? I guess there's a sort of disperse the knowledge to allow people to also run their own LARP events in a similar manner, which possibly happen on a more local level? Is that something that's at least thought about? Uh, well, I should clarify first that we didn't make Convention of Thorns. Uh, oh, sorry. Okay. That, that's, a, that's a Jobbuck Studios. That's a, a Danish-Polish, like our dear friends uh, at a Danish-Polish uh, company that that, um, that did that. And they've actually, just a few hours ago, they've announced dates uh, for two more runs of Convention of Thorns. Uh, so oh, if wow. you want to go to Poland and play it, you'll have Sweet. two opportunities next year. And I think uh, Johan and Bjarke both played it. I was doing the Nordic LARP talks then, but I would I would say you both strongly recommend that experience. Um, it's a ton of fun. Um, but I mean, I, I guess this is also a White Wolf question. And so so we can only speculate, but, yeah. but, but for... I think, yes, like for sure, they have said publicly on, on stages in New Orleans and other places that one of the reasons they they want to engage with Nordic LARP uh, or, and, and to bring these sort of high profile uh, productions out is to to show at a range of um, to, to, to showcase a range of tools that are actually quite mainstream in the role playing culture that, that we come out of. And I think when we play, we grew up playing vampire. They were, they looked more Nordic. They looked and felt more Nordic than, um, than uh, just because we have access to spaces and 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 funds in in some different ways because of cultural reasons. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so that so that's more sort of mainstream, uh, I guess. Here, uh, these, I mean, obviously, conventional thorns or enlightenment in blood are not typical, uh, like vampire larps from the nordic countries they are ambitious on a whole other level and they're sort of professionally produced um but yeah i think white wolf does want to to show that that you can by making these kinds of games and using these kinds of tools you can make other other elements of these stories of these worlds playable um that it because i mean because whenever you introduce a, a rule for something obviously that's that's going to focus gameplay in, in, a, in a direction. Uh, and if you say, okay, let's say that 
you know, Convention of, of Thorns, for instance, um, didn't have, like, they just said, you know, this game is not going to be about fighting. Like This this mm-hmm. game is not going to be about vampires killing vampires. That's not what this is about. And when you take that out, then it's a whole other type of, of gameplay that happens. And it can be very powerful, but it becomes a lot about about deals and negotiations and relationships, so much about relationships. Um, and and I think that is interesting because uh, White Wolf are are demonstrating that for some purpose. But I think also that these tools were developed, like this traditional play is a tradition. Uh, we're professionals who are using these tools, but it's important to know that, that Nordic LARP is developed over decades by thousands of people and all of these tools are out there like uh, and there there's a lot there's something called the larp writer summer school uh, that has a website where you can go and just learn some of the theory and and tools of how these things are made and if you want to make your own like local more nordic style larp somewhere nobody's going to stop you i think everybody like from our perspective is cheering you on that's fantastic excellent yeah i think that uh Certainly, if, if somebody wants to kind of a steal technique from us, that's totally fine. That's uh, or or ask questions or something something like that. Uh, I think the goal here, as far as I understand it, for uh, for for everybody is is to is, is is that there's many different kinds of ways of making a vampire art. There's mindside theater is one way, and what we are doing is another way, and. Uh, Sometimes it's for the same people who are interested in both things, and sometimes it's for different people. And uh, and it is at least it's my hope that that will sort of broaden the audience. But just sort of to keep things more concrete and less uh, abstract, I'm going to tell a short anecdote about Convention of Thorns, where me and Bjarke were as, as players. I had a friend who... I didn't do this, but I had a friend who play, who was also playing there, and he started to feel like a, like a am I really getting enough vampire in my vampire? And then he had had this idea that that the, the castle had like a fourth floor that was a ruined kind of semi burnt out, very evocative and uh, and scary place. So what he did, he went to the organizers and he said, said to the organizers that can you provide to me like maybe five, six NPCs who are mortals who have been brought to the castle for us to hunt. And the organizer said, yeah, it's going to take half an hour and, and then they'll be ready. <laughs> and uh, then what, what happened was that he went around and said, yeah, went around in-game asking like, yeah, I just organized us a bunch of mortals for us. So like, what what say you friends? How about we go to the fourth floor and have us, have us a hunt? <laughs> and then that's what happened. They, they went there and played like, like a game of hide and seek. <laughs> where uh, the, the mortals are told that they, if you if you can survive the next half an hour or the next hour, you are free to go. If you can't, then you die. And then the mortals run around screaming or hide someplace, and then the vampires uh, hunt them. And uh, and uh, that's the kind of thing that you can uh, sort of make happen <laughs> in that kind of a LARP environment. I should say, by the way, that Convention of Thorns used both game mechanics and safety design that were developed for uh, for End of the Line. So, so, so that's just a really practical example of uh, of how these tools um, travel. I think also it's probably like a legal fact that you can't actually copyright game design. Thank God, because that would yeah. have, you know killed our whole community <laughs> decades ago. Um, but, but I mean, we all you know we all stand on the shoulders of giants, and this is like an iterative discipline and making LARP productions by like because it's a physical event and you have to like have the people there and actually run it full scale to test it full scale um it develops very slowly uh, if you can't 
uh, use lessons from from the stuff other people have learned. Uh, so yeah, no, we engage that uh, fully. That is not to say that um, that this style of LARP is better. I think. I think end of the line, for instance, demonstrated really well that it works super well in combination. You come in and you get a, a, a taste of some other corner of the world of darkness that you would that that is not playable to you because of the characters or because of the kind of games you're normally playing. And then you experience something there that will deepen your experience of whatever your like main uh, preference of gaming is. Um, however, in- once it's been tested, uh, I mean, let's yeah, see. Sure. Uh, and we're also co-developing it with some. <coughs> sorry, uh, co-developing it with our with um, uh, with another large company. So we need to talk to, talk about what. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, what the possibilities are, uh, but I mean, it's interesting. I think the whole idea of, of generating a character, like in so many role-playing traditions, you you start you start approaching it from a sort of stats perspective in some way and this is uh the in this kind of gameplay the the, your your like your driving forces and your morality and and your relationships and the 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 goals of your group are um are in some way your stats does that make sense yeah yeah so it's a whole other it's a whole other um approach but yeah i mean yes as a computing problem as well super interesting I'm a big proponent of like when running tabletop games because I think um, I mean this can happen with with certain games where you, it's it's such a it's such a, a kitchen sink of so many options that it can become quite intimidating to even know where to begin and often that can also mean that people are so intimidated that they always seem to keep going down the same stereotypes for particular characters. Um, I think that's. Again, this is some of the things that we can things to comment on is like the difference between like why there are less clans in in Requiem. And one of the things I really like though, and I think this is can be applied. It, it turns up in the Iron Kingdoms roleplay game, but I think other games use it, and I think Cthulhu Tech to a certain extent uses it. And I would use it for Vampire as well. And I always do it. Is I don't allow the entire kitchen sink because it's too much for me as a game as a game sister, as a storyteller to deal to make an to make a to make a accessible story that can accommodate all those options. I would rather like, you know, limit limit it down but still allow the players to explore within that. And sometimes you get a lot more some some more options explored even though yes they're both they're both Torridor but like they're very different flavors of Torridor and to get all of those out in one game is quite great whereas if you just go with the kitchen sink kind of element sometimes no matter which game you're running every time you run it the, tor- the same kind of flavor of Torridor comes out because people know that they're the Torridor for that game and they just go off and do that. So, um, yeah, the, the idea of you know closing some doors to open others or at least allow more granularity in exploring the limited options that you now have is um, is a big thing for me. I yeah, think what I think, you're saying, sorry, I think that uh, one of my big things when I design games is is. It's about that. It's about closing doors because with closing uh, options for for your participants, you also, uh, because you are imposing stuff on them, you're also creating uh, an alibi for them to explore some stuff that they probably wouldn't do otherwise. 
Uh, they don't all meet in the the end due to some weird wizard drawing them there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, the I I think that the the first choice you're gonna choose in the in when you join Enlightenment Blood is is that we have like two categories. One is that you can explore the world of darkness. Do you want to explore the world of darkness? Which is one. Which is that <laughs> uh, anarch coming to the city and just exploring various locations. And the other choice is. Uh, do you want to inhabit the world of darkness, which is when you, for example, sign up to the, then you're going to be the Bungnor that lives at the squat, and you're probably maybe going to be there most of the time, and then maybe go to one or maybe two other locations, but you will probably circle back to to sort of the den that you're hanging out at, and and sort of uh, filling that part of the world. So so it depends on what type of lot that you want, uh, and that's the that's where the sort of the the when you dive into what character you're gonna be at enlightenment but that's where it starts i i think what the guys are saying also about this or what all of you are saying actually about uh about this about focus is so important and, and i think also what you were saying about like nuance and granularity allows allows this nuance and, and actually adds to complexity by taking out some some of the options uh, you move in a less stereotypical um, direction with within the re- remaining options. That is so totally true. But I just think when Johan and Bjarke say, if we have an interesting idea for it, then it can be an enlightenment in blood. I think that's shorthand. And I would like to translate that. Like, of course, all of this stuff, it's in, if it's in the world of darkness, it's interesting. Like even the bad stuff is interesting. But but what we mean when he's shaking his head, okay, to me, everything is interesting. But, <laughs> but, but at least all of the good stuff is certainly interesting and, and interesting to play in some situations. But when we say... Um, do, do we have an interesting idea for it in Enlightenment in Blood? I think what we mean is, do we have a, a playable idea? Mm. Like, do we have a take on it that will make that will make it possible to experience something interesting and to create something interested within like this runtime, which is probably going to be like five hours? And yeah. we can assume that all of the players are going to want to see more than one location, just because it's awesome to be able to walk down a few blocks and go into another space, and this whole other thing is happening there. So we need to build that that possibility into all of the players for all the players as well, and that eats up some of the time. So, so then, like, what's interesting is like, what is it possible to do something awesome, awesome with within that framework that is imposed upon us by the circumstances as well? Hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that was an important clarification because, of course, what we are constantly thinking about is that can we provide a game that's as good as it can be within within for for, for this type of character? And if the answer is yes, then uh, we go forward. But if we don't if we don't feel confident that we can do that, then it goes back to the drawing board and it may be left out because uh, we don't want any. <laughs> like a, it has to be good, or otherwise it can't be there. Mm-hmm. 